So our topic, we're in, we are in a sermon series on connection, and I think that we have talked about connecting with other people, but today our topic is connecting with God through worship. And our uh, scripture story is in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And in my Bible, the heading, which you know was added later, it wasn't in Greek or Hebrew, but the heading in my Bible says, Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman. Okay, so I'm guessing that that automatically just hits some images in your mind, and I want you to push those images aside. I'm guessing that you had those images because anytime the story of Jesus is told on television or in the movies, we have this scene. And I'm also guessing that maybe you have these images because there is a story about Jesus being anointed in each of the four Gospels. But this is Luke's version, and Luke's is a little different, first, simply by placement. In the other three Gospels, the story of Jesus being anointed by a woman comes right before the crucifixion. But in Luke's Gospel, the story of Jesus being anointed comes right before Jesus travels to Jerusalem. So this is, in fact, an anointing of his ministry and maybe even a revealing of his identity. Luke's story takes place at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And what I want you to know about the homes in the first century is that they were very different from our homes. There would not be locked doors. Simon the Pharisee did not live in a gated community. But the homes in the first century were very open. And so if Simon was having people over for dinner, uh, the doors would be open. And those people who lived in the community around Simon would know who was having dinner in Simon's house, not because they were nosy neighbors, but simply because that was the nature of the way the neighborhood was set up. And the other thing that I want you to know is that people in the Hellenistic culture who were well off dined by reclining at the table. So they were around the table leaning on their left arms and eating with their right hands. Uh, So, and their feet were behind them. So this woman who is anointing Jesus' feet is not crawling around under the table to get to Jesus' feet, but instead she just walks up behind the table where Jesus says, reclined at table. Okay, so the scripture passage begins in the 36th verse of chapter 7 of Luke's gospel, and it goes to uh, verse 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house, and he took his place at the table. And a woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to bathe his feet with her tears and to dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw it, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what kind of woman this is and who is touching him, and that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and he said to him, Simon, I have something to say. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loved little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the woman in Luke's story is a little bit different from the other three Gospels because she's unnamed. Have you ever been unnamed? Week before last, I went with my husband Keith to a doctor's appointment and the doctor said to me, you look familiar. Have you ever been in this office before? No, I said, and that was the truth. But what I didn't say was, have you ever been to Alamo Heights Methodist Church before? I bet that he had. And because I was out of place in that doctor's office, I remained unnamed. I suppose that it's possible that the woman in this story is unnamed because she's just simply out of place at the Pharisee's table. But it's probably more than that. Maybe Luke doesn't remember her name. That's happened to me. I've been called Dina and Diana and Donna because my name is hard to remember. It's unusual. I'm even called Shelly pretty regularly. I get it. But I don't think that's what's going on here in Luke. Well, what if she's unnamed because they don't know who she is? This happened to me just this week. I was stopped at a stoplight behind a school bus that was full of middle schoolers. And the kid who was in the back row had a very clear view of me and he flipped me off. And I thought, he doesn't know who I am. Well, at least that's what I told myself. I don't know. Maybe he did. (laughs) He doesn't know I'm a pastor. It startled me. But the text says, the story says that Simon knew very well who this woman was and is surprised that Jesus doesn't recognize the sinfulness of the one who is touching him. So that's not it. You know, one time I walked into a room where a person was setting up for dinner and there were going to be a lot of guests. And even though I was there and it was obvious that I had just walked into the room, I was ignored. Have you ever been ignored? Either because you're important to the, you're unimportant to the situation or because your very presence there is more than another person can handle? Is that what's going on here? We don't know the nature of the woman's sin. Although it has been imagined by church tradition, the text doesn't tell us what her sin was, but it does tell us that her sin was public knowledge. Simon thinks, Simon says to himself, if this man Jesus were a prophet, he would know. He would know because a prophet would know that this woman is a sinner. Now, I want to suggest to you that the woman in this story is unnamed because the incident is mostly about who Jesus is, about revealing Jesus' true identity as the prophetic Messiah. So when Simon the Pharisee thinks, if this man were a prophet, he would know who she is, Jesus' response to him turns the tables on the Pharisee, and he shows him that, in fact, he does know who she is. 
the heart of the woman is revealed, as well as the heart of Simon the Pharisee, Jesus tells a parable about debt. And then he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, not look at this woman, but he says to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Because a prophet sees. A prophet sees the heart. A prophet always recognizes the heart of another person and sees their identity as loved. I can remember years ago being asked to come pray with a woman who had a prophetic gift. And this was my first encounter with someone who had the prophetic gift. And my initial thought was, oh no, the jig is up. She's going to see all my weaknesses. They will be exposed. But that was not my experience of the prophetic gift at all. The prophet sees the good. The prophet sees the potential in people. To see the bad in people, that's not hard. That doesn't require a prophet. We all have that ability. I think it's more closely related to original sin than it is to the gift of prophecy. Fred Craddock really helped me to see this passage, to understand this passage. Because when I read the intro to this story that Jesus is going to have dinner at the home of the Pharisee, this music goes on in my head, dun, dun, dun. Craddock claims that it wouldn't be unusual for Jesus to go and have dinner with the Pharisees because the Pharisees were great lovers of Mosaic law and they were leaders in the synagogue. Only I look at this passage and think, oh, the Pharisees, the hypocrites. Jesus did not have prejudice for the prejudiced. Only I have prejudice for the prejudiced. He knew the unnamed woman as loved, and he knew Simon the Pharisee as a loved, forgiven child of God. The Gospel of Luke tells us that when Jesus is just six weeks old, his parents take him to the temple And at the temple, they meet a prophet, Simeon, and as Simeon prays over Jesus and his parents, he says about Jesus, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That's what's happening in this passage. The thoughts of hearts are being revealed in Simon the Pharisee's home. I suspect that that is a key component of worship. That when we worship, when we put ourselves in Christ's presence, our heart is revealed. I've had the experience of walking into worship not really knowing what I'm carrying, but in the presence of Christ, revelation happens. Either I'm moved to emotion or I sense the deep frustration that's going on in my life in the moment where I want the Holy Spirit to work. There is an exposure of the heart that can happen in worship and often does happen in worship, that should happen in worship. Well, how does this happen and how can it happen? Well, I want to take my clues from the story. And I think the first clue we can get from the woman's actions at Jesus' feet. She pours water on his feet. She's anoint, she anoints him and she kisses his feet. Now you might be thinking, well, that's a little too expressive. That's too demonstrative. That's a little weird for me. Don't get hung up on the emotion. While her emotion is admirable, her passion is admirable, what I first want you to see in this biblical story about 
Jesus the Messiah is the hospitality that the woman expresses. Now, there are rules for hospitality in my house. Maybe you have some of these same rules in your house, either spoken or unspoken. I think they were first taught to me by my mother, either because she demonstrated them to me or she specifically told me how we receive a guest. So if we know that a guest is coming for dinner at our house, we set an extra place at the table. And if we know that a guest is coming to our door, then we don't just from our chair go, come in. But instead, we get up, and we go to the door, and we open the door, and we welcome them in, and we hug them, or we shake their hands. And then if they have bags with them, a purse or a coat, we take those things from them, and we put them in a safe place while they're in our house, right? Maybe you have some of those same rules. The customs for the first century for hospitality involved three things, providing water, to wash your guests' feet, receiving them with a kiss, and then anointing them with oil for their journey. That's exactly what this woman does for Jesus. She washes, she kisses, she anoints. And Jesus reminds Simon in this passage of Scripture that that's exactly what he did not do. Simon forgot the common courtesies of hospitality. So our part in worship, I believe, involves hospitality or making a place for the presence of Christ in our lives, in our hearts. I believe that we come to worship regularly to build up our spiritual muscles, that having the ability to provide a place for Christ in our life is not an on-off switch. It's not a either yes, I do it or no, I don't do it. But we work out to have a greater ability and a greater place for Christ to be present in our heart, for Christ to be present in our lives. And there are two ways that we do that when we worship. One of the ways that we do that when we come into Christ's presence and our hearts are revealed is that we recognize our need. The other thing that we can do is that we can express our gratitude So the woman in this story, she is clearly thankful for the forgiveness that she has offered. And Simon is unaware of the forgiveness that's being offered to him. And then she's grateful. She's thankful for that love that is expressed toward her. Jesus says that two people, he says to Simon, he talks about a parable. Just a small little parable in this story about two people who have debts. Two different debts. One has a debt of 50 denarii, and the other person has a debt of 500 denarii. Now, when I hear this small parable in this larger passage of Scripture, I automatically uh, equivocate a denarii with a dollar. I don't know why my brain does that. Maybe it's because they both start with the letter D. But that's not true at all. A denarii was a day's wage. So we're talking about 50 days wage or two months salary, or we're talking about 500 days wage, 500 days of salary. What I want you to hear about the two debts is that they're both big. When I hear those two amounts and I think $50, I kind of think, now Keith would not want me to say this, but I kind of think, oh man, that's no big deal, $50. (laughs) But when I hear 50 days wage, two months salary, so we could be talking about 
in today's dollar equivalents, $4,000, that sounds like a lot more. Or $40,000 if we're talking about 500 days wage. Both debts are big. If somebody were to give me $4,000, I would notice it. And I would be thankful. Maybe I don't practice gratitude because I don't recognize the size of the gift that's given to me. Or my need for that gift. My oldest daughter took senior pictures this summer. And as we were headed out the door to go to the photographer, I grabbed a string of pearls because I'm a child of the 1980s, and that's what you do when somebody puts a drape on you. You put on a string of pearls, right? Those pearls were a gift given to me by my grandmother. Uh, She gave me one each year. It was an add-a-pearl necklace. I'm not sure they have those anymore. But when I was a child, every year on my birthday, another pearl was added to the necklace. And I remember sitting at birthday tables and my house being nonplussed by Granny's gift and my stack of presents. Oh, another pearl. That's just what I wanted for my 10th birthday. It'll go great with my Wranglers and roller skates. But 40 years later, it may very well be the most valuable piece of jewelry I have. It's not really because of the cost of the pearls, although my grandmother had a wonderful jeweler and they're beautiful. But even more valuable to me is the person who gave them to me because I know how much she loved me. My grandmother for me was a woman who sacrificed herself so that I could come to her house and spend time there. And when I was at her house spending time with her, she sat And listened to me and listened to what was going on in my life. She practiced self-sacrificing love for me. And that is, I think, the purest, best form of love. And it's the form of love that we see when we read the Gospels. God wants us to see in Jesus' life an expression of self-sacrificing love. That that's not only who Jesus was, but that's a clear picture of who God is for us. A while back, a family went for a drive. Must have been several years ago. It was a Sunday afternoon drive. We don't do that anymore. The parents were in the front seat. The kids were in the back seat. And as they were driving down the road, the kids said, Oh, Dad, Dad, pull over, pull over. You've got to stop. And so he pulled the car over to the side of the road. And the kids said, There's a cat back there on the side of the road. It's alive. We need to get that cat. And the dad said, oh, no, we're not getting that cat. Let's just keep going. And the mom said, oh, you better get it. They stole the cat. You better turn around and go get it. So the dad turns around. He gets out of the car. Just This cat's just a mess, a wreck, a stinky wreck. And so the dad tells the kids, don't get out of the car. Stay in the car. You're going to catch some disease if you come out here. And he grabs a towel, and he throws the, cat, the towel around the cat and bends down to pick up the cat. And the cat goes, He wraps the towel tightly around the cat, and he puts the cat in the back seat, and he tells the kids, don't touch the cat. They take the cat home. They shampoo the cat with some really nice-smelling perfume shampoo, feed the cat, 
Weeks later, the dad's sitting in his recliner, and here comes a cat walking quietly up next to his chair, softly, gently, jumps up into his lap, wanting to be pet. Same cat or different cat? Well, it was the same cat, but it was the different cat also. It was a transformed cat, a cat that was transformed by the genuine love that the dad expressed toward that cat. And we are transformed also as we come to worship and we experience self-sacrificing the genuine love week after week that God pours out on us. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, we thank you and we praise you for this safe space, for this sanctuary where we can come and experience the true, pure, self-sacrificing love that you pour out to us. Lord, we are thankful for the ways that that self-sacrificing love works in our lives and transforms us into new people. And so we ask, Lord, that uh, you would reveal new insight and new transformation this morning, new ways that we may go and grow so that we may grow in Christ-likeness and become more like your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And together as we respond to the Word of God.